This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Greetings, friends. Coming up today on the Future Award-winning Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 172. I am going to have from Denver, Benjamin Albright, one of the more respected analysts and insiders in the NFL today. We're going to talk Broncos. We're going to talk Buffalo Bills, get you set up for a big game on Sunday. And I'll tell you what, the Bills might be 7-3, and three, Denver might be in 3-7, and seven, but there's a reason why the Bills are only favored by four. We'll talk about that. Lots of good stuff with Benjamin Albright coming up. Also, I have an epic, and I do mean epic, Buffalo Sabres rant. Not from myself, from somebody else. I'm going to play a clip of that. And I also have a chicken wing review of a hidden gem in North Tonawanda. All that and more coming up in just a minute. Want to let you know, this show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. Then they're gone. Got to get them while you can. Here's the best part about that company. And there's so many things to like about 26 Shirts. For every single shirt that they sell, they make a donation to either a local family in need or to a worthy charity. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate more than $650,000. Folks, that's incredible. Del Reed, that entire crew there, they do such an amazing job for so many people. It's awesome to see. Not to mention, by the way, it's one thing to do something that helps out other people and makes you feel good. But these are really good looking shirts. These designs are sweet, man. They're comfortable, very sporty to wear. I love them. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone, how you doing? Welcome to episode 172 of the Moranalytics podcast presented by 26 Shirts. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading If. You have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast. Please go ahead and do that right now. As I said at the opening, coming up in just a few minutes, I'm going to have a conversation with Benjamin Albright, a guy who I consider one of the very best NFL analysts and insiders in the business today. Of course, he's based in Denver. The timing is definitely not a coincidence with the Bills playing Denver on Sunday that I wanted to get him back on the podcast today. We'll talk Denver Broncos. Bring Bills fans up to speed with the team, who, of course, the Broncos are only three and seven, but they have a they have a talented roster. They have a roster that indicates that they very well could have easily been better than three and seven. They've lost many games by, in fact, they lost, I think, like three games or something like that by only two points, literally. 
talented team that just can't seem to put it together. Ben's going to break them down. We'll talk Broncos. We'll talk Buffalo Bills. We'll get you set up for Sunday's game. A lot more Benjamin Albright. Again, one of the very best in the business. I'll have that for you in just a few minutes. Also, later on in the episode, I have a chicken wing review that I want to play for you. A place in North Tonawanda. It's a series that I've just started on the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Just kicked it off this week. Typically, these reviews are going to be exclusive to that channel. But because this is the first one, I'm going to queue it up for you. Let you know exactly what I'm doing with that channel in this series and play it on the podcast. But again, I'll talk about that later. Real quick, before I get to Ben, I have to play a clip actually from another podcast. And let me briefly explain. I wanted to originally have some Buffalo Sabres talk on this podcast, but I'm going to be completely honest with all of you. I haven't been watching them. I've admitted this before. I'll own it. I'm sort of a bandwagon hopper when it comes to the Buffalo Sabres because the product is just, you know, it's one thing to not be good. It's another thing to not be fun to watch. And that's how I feel about Sabres hockey when they're when they're playing bad. And that's exactly what they're doing. So long story short, here's what I'm getting at. I feel completely unqualified to give you my take right now on anything going on with the Buffalo Sabres because frankly, I have not been watching them. Now, having said that, I have a routine in the morning pretty much every day now because I have a podcast. I like to listen to as many podcasts as possible. Some of them are chart topping national podcasts. Many of them are done locally, Bills and Sabres stuff. Some of them are friends and I like to check out their podcasts. I like to listen to them. It's what I do pretty much every morning before I get into my day. Anyway, typically speaking, I'll listen to a couple minutes at least of each, see what the topic is, see how I feel about listening to that episode. Sometimes I'll listen on, sometimes I'll move on to the next one. Because again, I have a lot of them in my rotation and I try to at least give a a peek into all of them. Tuesday morning, Die by the Blade, which is a Sabres related podcast on uh, SB Nation. They had an episode on Tuesday and Anthony Chandra had this rant about the Sabres that I could not stop listening to. It's about eight, nine minutes, something like that. And then the guys got together and talked about a lot of those points from the rant afterwards. Long story short, it's an hour episode. I literally listened to the entire thing. I thought it was absolutely riveting. So what I did is reach out to Chad DiDominicis, who's been on this podcast several times and is the managing editor of Die by the Blade. I said, bro, you got to let me play this clip on the podcast this Friday. I said, this is a really, really good rant. It's not just anger. There's a lot of logic and reasoning behind why Anthony is frustrated. And I just felt like listening to this, I'm like, he is really, really putting his finger on the pulse of how Sabres fans feel about this organization right now. I said, you got to let me play this clip. So he said, I could. And that's what I'm going to do for you right now. If you're a Sabres fan, trust me. You really want to listen to this. And I'm pretty confident if you're a Sabres fan, you're going to agree with pretty much, if not everything that Anthony has to say. So let me play this rant. Then I'll discuss after. And then I'll get you set up for my interview with Benjamin Albright. I want to talk first of all about, about patience, right? This is this was the thing that all summer when me, you, Bill, anyone who is kind of pessimistic about the team, we, we had to hear about patience, right? And 
by extension, kind of since Botterill got here, this mythical Pittsburgh model that fans have just kind of been like puking at us on Twitter. Do you know what the Pittsburgh model is? It's riding two of the top five centers in the NHL while successfully adding contributors on value contracts to fill out your roster. Do not tell me that Jason Botterill is following that model. Okay, this started with this guy. He started with two of the most difficult things to obtain for a rebuilding franchise. He started with them. Jack Eichel was already here as his franchise center, and he managed to fall back asswards into Rasmus Dahlin, a generational talent on defense. Okay, he had those two key pieces, his two elite players. They were here. I mean, Dahlin was here a year after he got here. I mean, he, it was handed to him. Okay, it's part two that's the problem. That's the filling out of the roster with value. Find me one value contract on this roster with any term right now. The only one he's obtained since he's gotten here is currently slow cooking to a fucking crisp in Rochester, and that's Lawrence Pilot. (laughs) And while we're here, while while we're on the subject of Mr. Pilot, let's talk about him. Let's talk about this diamond in the rough that the Sabres actively and effectively signed from the SHL. Now, this isn't a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old Lawrence Pilot. This is a 24-year-old Lawrence Pilot. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? Your second best left-handed defenseman is in Rochester at 24 years old right now because God forbid we would try to flip one of our 19 NHL caliber defensemen for some forward help. They're dropping like flies out there. We got Zach Bogosian on the right wing. God forbid you'd ever part with a guy like Jake McCabe, our blue-collar, lunch-pail, roughneck, insert other tired, rust-belt adjective here, defenseman. No, but instead we double down on the guy, slap an A on his chest, and throw him on the top pairing because he throws a hit every five games. So he's gritty, and we need that. Okay, This guy, he brought Jason Botterill brought back everyone. Okay, He hoarded defensemen, he added Jimmy Vesey, and he called it a fucking day. And we said from the beginning, it just wasn't good enough. It wasn't going to work. And we had to be patient, though. Everyone said, you have to see what happens. You can't get mad before the season starts. Okay, Adds Jimmy Vesey for a third rounder instead of just bringing Jason Pominville back for a year at no asset cost. This is, by the way, the asset management genius, Jason Botterill, who covered the cap and was this you know, asset manager of the ages in Pittsburgh following the Pittsburgh model that he's done so well. But no, he, you know, this is a guy who instead keeps two full NHL rosters worth of defensemen and nine NHL caliber forwards and calls it a summer. But here's what's worst of all. This is the worst part of all, guys. We complained last year when this man sat on his hands and watched a team with a 93% chance at the playoffs just spiral into oblivion. We complained this summer when he did diddly shit to address the complete dearth of secondary scoring on this roster. And now the Sabres, our Buffalo Sabres, losers of eight of their last nine games. And the GM hasn't budged. He hasn't budged. He still has not budged. He's going up to the plate and striking out looking. But, hey, you know, he's looking for forward help, allegedly. So so maybe he'll make a deal at the deadline when we're 14th in the East. Fantastic. Everything this guy has done, or, or more appropriately, I guess I should say, everything he hasn't done is that of a guy who's been promised tomorrow. And I've said it on Twitter, and I'll keep saying it. By letting another year of Jack Eichel's prime, of Sam Reinhart's prime, Jeff Skinner's prime slip away, being content to kick the can down the road again, it, this is the guy. This is the guy who's going to be here in the summer of 2020. It, 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 he has to be. Why else? How else can you explain to me the complete and utter lack of urgency on his part? How? 
Because this guy has apparently convinced the Pagulas that it takes five fucking years to build a playoff contender, despite the mountains of evidence to the contrary. Oh, oh, and by the way, in his three years, this developmental genius, in his three years here, what has he done to resack the, par- the prospect cover that Tim Murray completely deteriorated? Because he had to fix all Murray's problems that he caused, which, by the way, he did. However, in three years, the prospect cover looks just as bare outside of Dylan Cousins. Outside of Dylan Cousins and, and falling ass backwards into a lottery win, like I talked about before, what has he done to fill that cupboard? So, yeah, it's definitely the Pittsburgh model. Definitely. The, that thing everyone keeps referring to resembles it completely, you know, despite having one ELC contributor on the horizon in Cousins. So, so, so what the, the patience thing, what am I being patient for exactly? What do you see coming up that I don't see here? Because nothing he's done remotely resembles what they did to build that team in Pittsburgh. And we're just pissing away the prime of our core players like Jack Eichel. And, you know, th- this whole we're building from Rochester narrative is hilarious to me because that team has experienced success thanks in large part to veteran assets and less so due to guys coming through the system and actually developing. So to anyone still preaching patience, I need you to explain to me what I am being patient for and why next summer has the potential to be, you know, this pivotal offseason for the franchise. Why do I trust this guy with all this money and all these assets coming off the books? His continued, continued inaction is unacceptable. In three years, he's done nothing to set this team up to develop inexpensive contributors like they did in Pittsburgh. The organization is in the exact same state as it was when Tim Murray took over, minus one Ryan O'Reilly, plus one Rasmus Dahlin. That's it. That's it. There's nothing that shows any inkling of Bottero's master plan coming together in, in any discernible amount of time. Prospects pull us thin, the big club can't score, and instead of seeing what we have in the young guys we do have on hand, we got Vlad Saboka and Zemgis Gergensen who we had to bring back. We got Zach Bogosian skating as our 12th forward in practice because we need 800 NHL defensemen in case the locker room comes down with malaria. Yeah, definitely don't flip any of those assets, Jason. You just stand, Pat, let the franchise miss the playoffs for a ninth straight year in a league that is easier than any other league in professional sports to make the playoffs. You have to be, uh, you could be a tick below average and still make it. And last thing, before, before I end this rant, I want to talk a little bit about Ralph Kruger. Now, Leading up to this season, and it was kind of in, in the heyday of us kind of saying, hey, this looks about the same as it did last year. This is the same roster, and we have a problem with these same few guys. Everybody said to us, well, we need to see what Ralph Kruger can do with these guys. Master motivator, Ralph Kruger was going to just pull some sorcery and speak talent into existence for veterans, half of whom were bad before they were on the Sabres, and the other half have been bad with two other coaches before him. Yeah, he was going to just speak talent into existence. Now, I'm not crapping on Ralph Kruger because this is Jason Bowderell's crappy roster, but I will give Ralph Kruger some crap for this. He's making the same deployment mistakes that Phil Housley made. He's got Sam Reinhardt attached to Jack Eichel's hip. We've got Colin Miller in the freaking press box, and he's managed to botch the one good thing that Phil Housley did last year, which was letting Rasmus Dahlin be Rasmus Dahlin. I'm I'm frustrated, guys, and and the reason I'm so frustrated is because even through the tank, right, even through the worst days of all this, I had hope, right? It reminds me of that Sports Illustrated article by Alex Pruitt when Terry Pugula said, hey, don't worry, we've got Jack. And I I always kind of felt that way a little bit, right? Like, hey, we've got Jack, we've got Darlene, like this is going to work itself out. Right now, I'm not so sure it is, and I'm not sure I want Jason Botterill to be the guy to try and work it out. 
I mean, seriously, guys, if Terry Pagula has promised this, this man the keys to the car for 2020, then, then shame on him for not seeing the damage that punting another season will do to this organization. That's all I got. I had to get it off my chest because I'm, I'm just, I'm so sick. I'm so tired watching the same. It's, it's Groundhog Day. It's the same thing as last year. I'm wa- I could take my, some of my articles from last season and just sub in Housley for Kruger, or Kruger for Housley in 2019 for 2018, and nobody would know the difference. And that's exhausting. Exhausting. Wow. I mean, look, I think Anthony said it perfect. I think he said everything that you could possibly say about this organization right now. I think he represents the fan very well. I think most fans feel the same. A nice combination of frustration and even betrayal. It's only November. Things could turn around, sure, but it doesn't feel like that's going to happen. It's very frustrating, very hard right now to be a Buffalo Sabres fan. That was a really good rant. You know, it's one thing to have a rant. It's another thing to do it in a way where you can still get your point across instead of just yelling and being angry. Because I'm going to be honest with you, man. When I get fired up about the Sabres, actually, I don't get too fired up about the Sabres. I get frustrated with them and then I stop watching them. I'm, I guess maybe that makes me a bandwagon hopper when it comes to the Sabres. I don't care. I'm good with that. I'll, I'll eat that. I'll live with it. But generally speaking, people go on tangents and they just get angry. Anthony was plenty angry, but he also still was able to get his points across. That makes sense. And he was doing it logically. And I'll tell you, I only played the rant part of that episode of Die by the Blade, their podcast. They spent several minutes after that deep diving into some of the things that Anthony said and just having a really good discussion. Again, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, you owe it to yourself to listen to that podcast. I'm telling you, it's one of the best Sabres-related episodes that I've heard in a very long time. That's why I reached out to them. I said, you got to let me play that clip because I think that's how a lot of Sabres fans feel. So maybe some people are hearing that for the very first time. Again, it's Die by the Blade. That was episode number 113. You can find it on all podcasting platforms. Also, I'll put a link to it in the show notes directly to the website. The the podcast episode is embedded right onto that page. Definitely go check it out. I'm telling you, it's really good stuff and very well worth your time. Let's get to today's interview. I got Benjamin Albright. We're going to talk Broncos. We're going to talk Bills. We're going to talk Broncos versus Bills. Some other stuff. One of the very, very best NFL analysts and insiders in the business today. Here he is, Benjamin Albright. All right, my guest is a sports talk show host, reporter, and NFL analyst. Based in Denver, of course, Benjamin Albright. What's going on, man? Thanks for doing the pod again. Oh, it's good to be back. Glad to have you. I've been lucky to have you on a couple times now. I want to encourage fans to hit up the archives, go all the way back to episode 13. It was I had Ben on. That episode was all about Ben's life and his career. That was a lot of fun. Today, though, we're going to skip the life stories and the pleasantries. I want to get right down to some football talk. Of course, Denver's in town on Sunday. Most Bills fans, at least casual ones, aren't very familiar with Denver, other than the fact that they're 3-7. and seven. Let's start here. Tell us about Brandon Allen, what you've seen from him very early on in his career, now that he's taken over for an injured Joe Flacco, former six-rounder, two starts. What's your take on him? Well, uh, on the positive side of the house, um, you know, the moment's not too big for him. Uh, he's certainly a guy who's got a place in this league is, is probably a spot start long-term backup type. Um, 
you know, he's, he's got the arm to, to make most of the throws. Uh, certainly not elite, uh, not elite arm, but he can make most of the throws. Uh, and, and he's got a little mobility to buy himself some time. He's, you know, doesn't generally uh, get himself into sack situations, can, can kind of bail himself out. On the uh, on the other side of that, um, he's, he's kind of really a poor man's case Keenum. Um, that's that's not going to win you football games long term. It can keep you in them, but you're going to have to have great skill position players and great defense to, to keep you in football games. So, um you know, I, I think the thing about Brandon Allen is he, he tries not to take sacks. He'll throw the football away, make smart decisions, keep the offense ahead of schedule. But at the end of the day, I don't think he has the tools or the uh, the ability to carry a team. He's, he's kind of got to have great players around him. What were the expectations for this Denver team, in your view, coming into the season? I think that trading for Joe Flacco last offseason had Elway thinking that they had the ability to, at the very least, compete for a division title. What do you think the expectations were coming in? I don't know if they thought the division was in play, but they certainly thought the playoffs were. Uh, you know, bringing, bringing in Joe Flacco uh, in this system in, in 2012, he'd, he'd had one of his greatest statistical um, seasons of his career when Gary Kubiak was the offensive coordinator in Baltimore. So, you know, they thought that, uh, that that he would be a good fit and bringing him in would be a, you know, would be a good move. Unfortunately, uh, when they traded for him, they didn't also get Joe Flacco from 2012. Uh, they got Joe Flacco from 2019, who's significantly less mobile, uh, and that may be overselling it. Uh, he would drop back five steps, plant, let the easy sacks, put the offense behind schedule quite a bit, took him out of scoring position quite a bit, um, and, and ultimately got hurt and, and, and went down. So, you know, they went out there and spent a late round draft pick on a guy they thought could help. Ultimately, it really didn't work out. Now they're going to get a chance to try out Brandon Allen a couple of games, try out Drew Locke a couple of games, and see if either one of those guys have anything to uh, uh, to offer for the future. How long do you think it might be before we see Drew Locke? Well, he'll be activated next week. Um, whether or not he's the starter kind of remains to be seen. He's been getting about uh, about 25% of the reps um, as he's coming off IR. He's been getting about 25% of the reps so far, which is a high number for a backup, um, even though he's not even officially the backup. Uh, it could be as soon as the Chargers game at home next week. It could be as late as the Lions game at home in late December. But uh, somewhere in between there, you will definitely see Drew Locke in the NFL this year. So when a casual fan who doesn't follow the Broncos too much looks at them, they're only three and seven. You're like, well, that's not good. But when you dig a little bit deeper, five of those losses have been one score games and four of them have been by four points or less. Does this show that, you know, while the record is still very poor, this is a highly competitive football team? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think people underestimated them. Certainly Cleveland did when they came into town. They they thought they were going to get a win and get right and, and kind of get uh, kind of get beat. The Broncos have a, a very, very good defense. Um, I think people underestimate that. It's kind of, you know, national perception about the Bills. People forget they've got a very, very good defense. You know, both these defenses are probably top six defenses in the NFL. Um, and the offense will surprise you at times. You know, there are playmakers on this offense. Cortland Sutton is kind of rounding into a top 12 wide receiver in this league. Phil Lindsay, uh, you know, is a home run threat every time he touches a ball. Um, there, there are pieces on this team that are, you know, that are good. Uh, they just, they're an offense that can't afford to get behind schedule. The, the offensive line depth is very thin. Garrett Bowles is good for, you know, a holding penalty a game. Uh, Juwan James, they invest all that money in, has barely seen the field. They've got Elijah Wilkinson, who's a guard, playing right tackle. 
you know, and you talked about those games, those close losses. I mean, you got five, four games uh, this season, five games this season. They've all been decided in the last 30 seconds. They've all gone against the Broncos. Uh, a lot of those, a lot of those have been last second field goals too, where those guys who kicked those field goals ended up whipping a kick to, to win the game the next week. So yeah, just a just a bad luck season for the Broncos. On top of being, uh, you know, a team that's maybe a little thin on the margins uh, on talent, can't afford to have bad breaks go against them. So they're a good football team. Um, you know, they can play the spoiler uh, if, if you let them. You know, I, I think they're significantly better than their record. Um, you know, I, I, I at the beginning of the season, I thought this was about a 500, maybe a nine-win football team. But, um, you know, they, like I said, the breaks have just kind of gone against them all season long, so they end up with three wins. But, you know, they could just as easily, very just as easily, have four or five more wins than they do. Now, from a Buffalo Bills perspective, people have thought, including myself, that these last two games, Miami last week, Denver coming up this week, kind of feel like must-win games to give the Bills the best opportunity to get the 10 wins because they got some tough games coming up besides Denver after this as well. We're watching the game last week. The Broncos are in Minnesota, and they're up 20 nothing at halftime. I'm like, holy crap, man. This team's a lot better than we thought they were. They ended up losing 27-23, blowing a 20-point lead. What happened last week? Well, they didn't play smart football um, after the two-minute warning in the first half. Uh, they had the football after they got a turnover from Minnesota inside the 20, and instead of just uh, running three times and taking the field goal to go up 23 nothing at the half, they were trying to throw the ball and uh, wound up getting intercepted. Didn't get any points out of that. Allowed Minnesota to drive a little bit at the end of the half to get some confidence back. Um, they came out in the second half and. Uh, instead of milking the clock, they tried running some cutesy plays, some, some tight end uh, rushing plays, just some, some other nonsense. And, you know, short drives allowed Minnesota to play with tempo, get back in the game. And uh, once they, once Minnesota got that momentum and that confidence going, you know, it was it was tough to slow them down. They're a very good football team. So uh, if you had told me prior to the game that, you know, Brock was going to half with a 29th of the lead, hold Dalvin Cook to 30 yards rushing all game, and, uh, you know, I'd have said the Broncos blew him out. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you got to play a complete game of football. And that's what happened. They, 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 the Broncos' Achilles heel this year has been finding ways to close it out, finding ways to finish it, and they haven't done that. And that's what happened this game. One of the guys you mentioned on offense is Cortland Sutton. He's becoming one of the better young receivers in the NFL. He's putting together a really nice season. He's led the team in receiving yards five of the past six games. He has 805 yards on the year. He's near the top of the AFC and that mark, too. What can you tell us about this kid? Well, Cortland's a basketball player turned wide receiver, uh, still learning the craft, you know, really raw, uh, an excellent athlete. He'll, he'll stun you with his athleticism. Um, and, he, and, you know, he's caught teams by surprise. You know, they've tried doubling him up. They've, they, they tried to double him up last game. It didn't work. They've tried tripling him up. That hadn't worked. Um, and as he gets better and better and more refined in his technique, he's, he's going to be a force to be stopped. Uh, it helped them last game that on the other side of the, uh, of the field that they've got Tim Patrick back. Patrick been on the IR last year when Emmanuel Sanders went down. Tim Patrick was kind of the security blanket for Case Keenum. He was kind of the clutch guy this game against Minnesota uh, as well when they went to him on third, fourth down, stuff like that. Tim Patrick is a uh, very, very big, very fast, very physical guy. So they got two guys on the outside that are just so tough to, you know, to double up. Um, you really, in order to beat them, you've kind of got to run a too high scheme, which Buffalo does run, but you know, in, in, in order to keep them in check, and you're going to have to press and, and move them off their routes to the line and hope that your, your pass rush gets home. Um, at the tight end, they've got Noah Fan, who's been inconsistent but has all world talent. Um, you know, he's got all kinds of athleticism, but, you know, one game he'll come out, put up 100 yards, the next game he'll drop three balls and leave 100 yards on the field. So once they get him being consistent, they've got some, uh, they've got some talent there, but he's, he's just hit or miss game to game. 
So I want to ask you specifically about the offensive line. One person specifically, Dalton Risner, how he's looked as a rookie, because I remember he was a guy I remember hearing connected to the Bills as a potential early round pick this past April. They ended up getting Cody Ford. And then in terms of pass protection for the line as a whole, it's been an issue. Denver's only 28th in sacks per passing attempt. How much of that, though, is on the offensive line? And how much of that was on Joe Flacco being the quarterback for the first eight games, who, as you talked about earlier, was is notorious for holding on to the ball for a long time? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it was on Joe Flacco. You can look at the last couple of games with Brandon Allen as evidence of that. Um, you know, a quarterback with mobility in this offense, you know, really, really helps it out and helps these, these tackles out. You know, the line is kind of cobbled together right now. Uh, on the left hand side, you've got Garrett Holtz, or excuse me, Garrett Bowles, uh, as he's known around the league. Uh, Dalton Reiser's been very good, uh, at left guard. Um, I think he was probably the, the crown jewel of their draft class this year, at least so far. At center, Connor McGovern has played uh, has played steady. He's probably better at right guard, but uh, they want to make him the center. Um, Elijah Wilkinson would be the ideal right guard, but he's playing right tackle right now with Juwan James out. And then you got Ron Leary, who's not had a great season, has had some holds, and he's shown his age uh, at right guard. So you know, next season they hope to have Juwan James healthy, and, and Wilkinson will kick inside right guard. But you know, for now, um, that's just the way they're running things. I, their pass pro is not bad. Um, it's it's not good. I would say it's the middle of the road. But if you have a an, an immobile guy like Flacco back there, and you know, calling him a statue might be slander to statues. Um, yeah. He's, you know, has, has been a problem. So you, you get a guy like Brandon Allen in there, or later on Drew Locke. Both guys have have a lot of athleticism. Uh, they'll surprise you. Um, I think that's helped out a lot. Brandon Allen, um, the sack totals over the last two games have, have plummeted simply because you've got a quarterback back there that can move around. On the other side of the ball, the defense that's been a long Denver trademark, and they're still good, seventh best in points allowed, fourth in yards, and that's despite an offense that's probably put them in some bad spots at times this year. Regardless of the record, Vic Fangio knows how to coach good defense. This is still a very good defense, right? Well, yeah, Vic, Vic Fangio's been around a long time, and he knows how to coach defense in this league. Um, you know, philosophically, it's almost a polar opposite defense of what they run the last five years. Uh, the last five years, you know, Wade Phillips and, and, and Vance Joseph, the defense has been uh, primarily man, send, and the philosophy has been send everybody you can at the quarterback uh, and, and hope that you get to him and put your guys out on the island, maybe a one-high safety. Um, now they run kind of an umbrella zone defense, uh, and Vic Fangio's philosophy is send the least amount of people I need to to get to the quarterback um, you know in order to pressure him and, and keep everybody else back in zone but hope to pick them off um, they're still learning it uh, the defense has gotten significantly better since week five they struggled uh, against the run early they're not really struggling against the run anymore they made a couple of personnel changes um, they moved Shelby Harris the nose tackle out to the uh, out to the five check and, and benched Adam Gatsis uh, and that has really paid dividends and then they added uh, uh, Alexander Johnson inside linebacker and, and put uh, uh, um, Josie Jewell on the bench, uh, and that has also paid huge dividends. Alexander Johnson, uh, who I'm, I'm going to be fortunate enough to speak to this evening, um, is, uh, has been pro football focuses number one rated inside linebacker over like the last six weeks, I think. Um, the guy's been a revelation. Um, so uh, get rid of Josie Jewell, who was athletically limited uh, and, and was kind of a, a liability in, in pass, uh, has, has really paid paid dividends for them as well. And then they've got, you know, they've got some other talent. Uh, Devonta Harris at corner played very well. Devontae Bosby was playing very well before he got hurt. Uh, Justin Simmons, I think, is the number one or number two rated safety by everybody across the league. Uh, very rangy, very athletic uh, safety. And then Kareem Jackson, who was a corner convert to safety. Um, you know, both those guys have ball skills back there. So 
you know, the defense, I, I think, is pretty good. Um, it'll be a lot better next year when they get guys healthy. Uh, right now you got Malik Reed filling in opposite Von Miller. When you get Bradley Chubb back, you know, you get Bryce Callahan finally in here and all that kind of stuff. This defense has potential to be special. Right now it's, it's good and people are underestimating it because of their record. I want to turn my attention to the game on Sunday. We talked about Cortland's son and probably going to see plenty of Tredavious White on him. On the other side of the ball, John Brown's had a very good year for the Bills. Probably been their, not probably, has been their best weapon. How do you expect the Broncos to defend him on Sunday? Um, I, I have a feeling they'll play a lot of pattern match. You'll you'll see situations where it looks like zone and then turns into man at the end of the route. Uh, you have to pay special attention to John Brown, make sure he doesn't get over the top of you. But, you know, the Broncos, uh, they, they've got the athleticism to do that. I don't know that they're necessarily going to put Chris Harris on, on Brown. I suspect they won't. Uh, but I, I think that it'll be Devontae Harris, actually. And I think you'll probably wind up seeing uh, um, Justin Simmons over the top of him uh, to, you know, to provide help there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's I think that's how you look at it. My, you know, my worry looking at that Bills team is, is who's playing the slot at slot receiver, making sure that, you know, whoever's out there is the third wide receiver because the Broncos corner depth is very thin and the third corner has been a liability ever since uh, ever since Bosby went down and Harris was moved up to number two. So uh, you're going to have somebody lined up either on Yadam or Duke Dawson. Duke has, uh, has been getting penalties left and right and got a good cover anybody. So that's really, I think, the exploitable matchup in the Broncos defense. When we talk about Josh Allen, it's always one of my favorite things when I have you on the podcast is to ask you about him because I remember very well, I had you on the podcast right before the 2018 draft and you had some strong takes on Josh Allen, which many, many people did. Weren't a fan of his at the time, which a lot of people, because he was very flawed coming into the NFL. Now he's closing in on his second season in the league. What have you seen from him? What's your take on him? Have you seen a lot of improvement? He's still got a long way to go, obviously, but do you like what you're seeing from him at this stage or or not? Well, there's definitely been huge improvements. I mean, leaps, leaps and bounds improvements from who he was at Wyoming. You know, that said, I think passing is still a bit of a liability for him at times. Uh, he's not able to buy time for receivers to get deep. That's really kind of been the, uh, you know, the hallmark for him. Um, he's a load to bring down. It reminds you a little bit of Cam Newton in terms of trying to bring him down. You know, big body and the athleticism. But, um, you know, in terms of throwing the ball, he's got to get more consistent in the, in the, in the EDM game. He's got to be more consistent in the short game. Um, you know, you've got you to learn to understand that uh, you need to put your guys in the best position to make a play at times. It doesn't have to all be on you and your rocket arm. And once that, once that conceptualizes for him, I, I think he could be a star. Um, you know, you see shades of Matt Stafford in there a little bit, shades of Cam Newton in there a little bit. Uh, it's just a question of him, you know, kind of conceptualizing the idea that he doesn't have to play hero ball every play. Sometimes you just want to be a point guard, put the ball out there, and let, you, let your guys make a play. And so um, I, I think once that concept comes to together for him mentally uh that, that he'll really be something last couple questions here ben then i'll let you go when you look at this game coming up in orchard park on sunday what's an area or two that you could see denver having a pretty decided advantage oh uh, i think denver's got nothing to lose um i don't think they have to play tight i think buffalo is a team that's coming into this game and you know now all of a sudden people are noticing them because of the record but then you dig a little deeper and you realize they've only played one team uh that they're only got one win over a team that's over 500 um 
you know, that's, that's not going to cut it. Um, they've, they've had mostly a soft schedule. So for Buffalo, you need to kind of come out and make a statement this game. You can't let it be close. You can't let the Broncos hang around because they're a decent football team. Um, that said, you know, you're, you're in Buffalo in the, in the dead of November. That should be an advantage in and of itself, right? You know, sure. yeah. coming out there where it's, where it's cold, you get the early game, you know, you got a team coming from the West, so it's early for them. Uh, you got to come out and punch them in the mouth early. And so I think having the crowd, having the atmosphere, having the environment, I think that's an advantage for Buffalo. Uh, and I think Denver, uh, the advantage is, you, you know, you're underestimated. Uh, nobody's, nobody's really counting on you because you're a three-win football team at this point. Uh, and I think you've got some good players uh, that could surprise you, guys like Cortland Sutton, guys like Phil Lindsay. And, you know, if it's, a, if it's an on game for Noah Fant, he could too. I'm not saying that the oddsmakers are wrong, and obviously we won't find that out until Sunday, but are you a little surprised that the Bills, despite playing a relatively soft schedule like you spoke of, they're 7-3, and three, they're playing at home in Orchard Park in November, Denver's coming in with a kid at quarterback who's got two career starts, they're 3-7, and seven, going nowhere, at least this season anyway, and yet the Bills are only favored in Vegas by four points right now. Is that a little surprising to you, or does that feel right? That feels about right. You got two very, very good defenses. Uh, you got a game that figures to be kind of sloppy. Uh, it figures to be low scoring. Um, so that line feels right to me. I, I wouldn't have it too, too much higher than that. If it were anywhere between three and six, I would say that's okay. I, I might say it's a little extreme if it got out to six. I might say it's a little light if it got down to three. But that, that feels about right. It feels like it's going to be a sloppy, low scoring game. And it, it winds up with a Buffalo, maybe a Buffalo 2017 win, that kind of thing. Last question. I was going to ask you for a prediction, but you kind of just gave it to me there. Buffalo winning by three. Give me one X factor from each team. Somebody from each side of the each side of the field where you say, all right, this guy's going to have a big game on Sunday. Uh, well, for the Broncos, it would be Tim Patrick. Um, you know, you've, you've got to double up Cortland and what he can get away with over there in his second game back on the other side. I think he could be the surprising guy. Uh, and then for the Bills, whoever's going to be that third wide receiver, whoever gets lined up on Yadam or Duke Dawson, you're going to have to take advantage of that. You're going to have to uh, have to have a big game because the other guys are, are fairly locked down. So um, I, I would suggest that whoever's playing that third wide receiver role uh, and gets lined up, like I said, on Yadam or Dawson, whoever's out there, uh, they need to have a big game in order for Buffalo win all right very good stuff follow ben on twitter at albright nfl thanks for your time as always ben i know you're busy i appreciate you that interview was brought to you by pulse cellular today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless and with pulse cellular you have the best options available whether you're going with verizon AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, doesn't matter what you're using currently. You can switch to Pulse Cellular, get unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65, or you can get four lines for just $45 each. Wow. And by the way, that also includes hotspot, Wi-Fi call-in, and up to 50 gigs per line. For all you travelers out there, Paul says you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus Texan data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones, or you can also bring your own phone. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. So if you've been a listener of this podcast for a while now, or if you follow me on Twitter, or if you just know me personally, you know that I am incredibly fond of getting chicken wings virtually every chance I get 
whenever I'm back in Buffalo. And I'm look, I'm not going to get into the whole spiel and lay out the entire background of it all today. I've already done that before. But long story short here, over the past, say, two years or so, every time I make a trip down from Florida, which is where I've been living now for the past couple of years, back to my hometown of Buffalo, New York, I go out and I try a new wing spot just about every day. These are all places that I have not had before. And then after that, I write up a chicken wing review. I put it on my blog, throw it up on Twitter, my Facebook, stuff like that. I also compare the spot. Besides just a review, I take each spot and I make a quarterback comparison, which is kind of a combination of adding a little bit of humor into it, but also some truth. I find a quarterback that I can kind of liken those wings to. So I do that. And then last but not least, I also power rank them. I'm at around 60 spots right now, which by the way, that number's definitely going to increase. I'm going to be back in Buffalo for the holidays. I'm sure I'm going to get to at least four or five new spots that I have not yet had a chance to get up to, review, power rank, etc. Anyway, this whole chicken wing thing for me, especially over the summer, it really, really gained a lot of traction, kind of took on a life of its own a little bit, got pretty big for me. I tried 23 different spots in just 20 days when I was in Buffalo over the summer, man. And it, those places, they were discussed pretty heavily on social media. Immediately, I would do a review. I'd put it up. I'd give my my take, my power ranking, and whether people agreed with them, they didn't agree with them. Lots of discussion on it. Anyway, I've decided now that I'm going to start producing some audio versions of my reviews and of a, these quarterback comparisons. And what I'm going to be doing is putting them up on the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel that I got going. I've had that going on for a little bit now. Now, this series in general, it's going to be exclusive to my YouTube channel. I'll be adding like one to two wing spots that I've done per week. So if you want to hear them all, you're going to have to go on YouTube and subscribe to the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. However, because this is actually the first one that I just did, which I just put up on YouTube, I believe on Wednesday night, and I want to give you an idea of what this series will basically consist of. I'm going to play this first one on the podcast right now as well. Again, I posted it on YouTube. I think it was Wednesday night. It's a review of Clemix Tavern in North Tonawanda, which I consider so under the radar that I actually thought it was Climax Tavern, and I pronounced it wrong several times throughout the clip. So to be fair, an employee of the place who actually worked there pronounced it the same way. So that's how I got the pronunciation of it. Anyway, this is what you're going to be able to expect with this series. And again, if you're a chicken wing fan and if you're a Western New Yorker, I'm pretty sure you are. And if you want dozens of unbiased wing reviews in the future, I have no loyalty to any one place. So all my reviews are completely unbiased. Go hit up the YouTube channel. And on that note, here it goes. My review and quarterback comparison for Climax Tavern in North Tonawanda. What's up? Patrick Moran here from the Moranalytics Podcast with an audio content series filled with chicken wing reviews and quarterback comparisons from wing spots in my hometown of Buffalo, New York. Hands down, the best place on earth for wings. I get my thoughts on the good, the bad, and everything in between from places that I've tried and that I've power ranked throughout the area. I've had over 60 spots and counting as of right now. And then for fun, I also like to throw out a quarterback comparison for each place, whether it's a quarterback past and present, and I explain why as well. Today, I'm talking Climax Tavern in North Tonawanda 
And before I get rolling, if you could hit that subscribe button down just below, that little bell next to it, that would be fantastic. I'm working on growing this channel here, putting up audio content almost daily now. And on that note, here is my take on Climax Tavern in North Tonawanda. And let's start with the good. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot to like about this place. First and foremost, you know, when I'm kind of giving a review of places and it's a pretty good sized wing, I, I kind of use the word generously a lot. You know, these are generously sized chicken wings. Well, Climax Tavern is not generously sized chicken wings because I'll tell you, if I use that word, I would be doing them a huge disservice. And speaking of huge, they are huge. These wings are huge, monstrous. Some of the biggest wings I've had anywhere in Western New York or anywhere, period, for that matter. I've been to like Tops at Wegmans. I might have seen some Roto chickens that were barely bigger than a few of these wings that I had when I was at Climax Tavern. Seriously, they're that big. You get a single order of wings, you better be hungry or you're not finishing them. You'll be putting them in a box, put them on top of your stove at home for later the next morning or whatever. Some big ass wings. Another thing too that's really good about them, they're cheap. I'm not even going to say inexpensive. These wings are cheap, man. $7.50 for a single order of wings. $12.50 for a double. Are you kidding me? And by the way, that ain't no wing special. That ain't Wednesday night wing night. That ain't Thursday from 6 to 9, two drink minimum or pay an extra for this or that. That is just straight up what their price is. $7.50 for a single, $12.50 for a double. So you got monster size wings. You get them really cheap. That's all fine and dandy. But if the wings are, took, are cooked terrible, then none of that matters. But here's the thing. At Climax, these wings were cooked really, really good. Nice and crispy on the outside, tender on the inside. A lot of places, they try so hard to make your wings crispy, extra crispy, that they sacrifice the flavor on the inside. They taste dry on the inside. Not the case at all at Climax. So you got big wings that are cooked well and they're cheap. And then the other thing that I really like about this place, and this is just me, maybe my personal preference, got that shitty dive bar feel that is so endearing to a lot of Western New Yorkers, definitely myself included. I love these type of places, man. That hole in the wall, mom and pop place, old guy bartender, very personable. Lots to like about this place. Really, truly is. In terms of the bad, I have one negative that, I mean, I had to throw it out there. I got to be honest with everybody here. Did not love the sauce at all. That was like the one part of my entire experience at Climax that was like kind of a downer for me. Not kind of, it was. I got medium hot wings. They were borderline bland. They definitely were not hot. They were actually closer, maybe medium, maybe even mild medium. It just, it lacked that punch, that kick. Now, when I have wings, I don't like them so hot that, you know, I could tell when I'm eating wings that are a little bit too hot for me because I sweat really bad when I have wings and I, you know, my, I have a hat on or whatever and I start getting drippy. Not the case at all. I mean, I didn't even break a sweat. I don't even think I needed a napkin to dab on my forehead throughout eating any of these wings. It just, the sauce was a little bland and it was a little too mild for my liking. Probably the one thing about this place that prevented it from being, I don't know, maybe a top five place in all of Western New York. That's how good I think everything else about Climax Tavern is. Then another thing too, and this is not for me, by the way. I mean, I just sat here and told you how I love that shitty dive bar feel and how it's endearing to me and a lot of other Western New Yorkers. But for some people, that may not be the case. Some people don't like to take trips into areas that are not, you know, a lot. there's not a lot going on. They're not necessarily the safest places in all of Western New York. 
Now, this is in North Tonawanda. I'm not saying that the location is unsafe by any means, but there's also not a lot going around in that direct area. Not a ton of parking. You got to park on the street. Again, it's a very small place. It might be cramped. If it's busy in there with a lot of locals, you might feel really cramped when you go in there. So the location is not the greatest. And plus, if you want that overall vibe, that experience of going out and getting wings, it's just a small part of your night. There's Crazy Jake's and Dwyer's and the water, the movie theater. There's all kinds of things going on. What, I don't know, maybe five to seven minutes or so just down the road in NT where you can have a lot more fun and do a lot more things. So the location is not the greatest. Before I throw out the quarterback comparison, I also have a complete list, by the way, all the places that I've had that I've reviewed and that I've power ranked. I have them in written form, including this one. I'll put a link to that article in the description down below. Go check that out if you want. In terms of my quarterback comparison, I came up with Bob Greasy. Now, I know Bob Greasy is not one that's thought of often when great quarterbacks from back in the day are discussed, which kind of is how I feel about Climax Tavern because I'll tell you what, when it comes to Bob Greasy, you look at what he did and you're like, wow, this guy's really, really good. I'm kind of shocked and blown away by Bob Greasy. Kind of how I feel about Climax Tavern. I'm not sure I've ever heard of anyone really sing the praises of this place other than maybe one or two people on Twitter who, for all I know, they may work there. This is not a place that's discussed often, and it should be. Just like Bob Greasy, when you talk about the great quarterbacks from back in his era, he's not mentioned enough, and he definitely should be. To conclude, I don't like to toss the word hitting gem around a lot when it comes to wings because I feel like when you say it too many times about too many places that other people may not know about, it kind of loses its luster and its effect, but I have to do it here. I have to. These are some very highly underrated wings. Killer wings. And it feels like borderline criminal to me that more people don't even know about Climax Tavern. Get out there. Change that quickly. If it's a good wing, if that's your end game, and you don't care about any of the pomp and the circumstance that comes with the experience of going out for wings, you know, you don't mind a place that isn't exquisite. It doesn't look fantastic. It's frankly a little bit worn, run down. You just want to get good eats. This is one of the best places that you could possibly go to. I guarantee it. All right, that'll do it for this one. If you're enjoying this content, please hit that like button. Leave a comment below. Subscribe with the little bell so you know when new content comes out. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with a new one soon. Before I let the sun set on this episode, man, I got to send out some love, some congratulations, some props to former Bishop Timon High School football player slash former University at Buffalo football player slash former Tampa Bay Buccaneer slash former Baltimore Raven. Most importantly, at least to me anyway, my very good friend, a very close personal family friend of mine, Damone Harris. Could not be happier for the kid. On Thursday, he was on the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. And on Thursday, he was signed to the Kansas City Chiefs active roster. So he's back on a 53-man roster. And I'm going to tell you this right now, folks. There is nobody, and I mean nobody, who's more deserving of this because 
No one works harder than Damone Harris. He is without question, as somebody who's known him for the majority of his life since he was at the beginning of high school, there's nobody who works harder and wanted it more than Damone Harris. Such a deserving kid. And I just, man, I'm tickled. I could not be more happier for him. You want to talk, I'll tell you what, folks, if you got a child out there who plays sports, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, doesn't matter what sport, and it doesn't matter boy or girl, and you want them to grow up and be a professional athlete, if that's their dream, if that's your dream, have somebody like Damone Harris as a role model. Because again, you want to talk about somebody who was never handed a thing in his life? Not most athletes are blue chip people. You know, they're not, they're not all first round draft picks. They're not all recruited by every big school around the country. Some of them get to the NFL, to the NBA, wherever it may be. They get there the hard way. And that's exactly what Damone Harris has done. He didn't even start until his senior year of high school. Never had played football until his junior year in his life. No little loop, no little league. Played as a junior, did not start. Started his senior year, got hurt his senior year. Literally not recruited at all. Zero scholarships coming out of high school. Zero. He walked on to UB. And at UB as a walk-on, he worked his ass off, got better, made the team, eventually earned a scholarship, became a starter, became a very good player, became a fringe NFL draft prospect. The draft rolls around, does not get drafted, doesn't hold his head down. Right after the draft, Tampa Bay Buccaneers call, sign him to the practice squad. Or actually, I'm sorry, they didn't sign him to the practice squad. I'm jumping way ahead of myself right here. Sign him as an undrafted free agent. He goes to camp. Again, not drafted. What does he do out of training camp? It's a great camp. Makes the team on the practice squad. Gets called up to the active roster for a handful of games as a rookie. Finishes the year back on the practice squad. Bruce Arian comes in. New head coach. New coaching staff. You're like, all right, well, you know, an undrafted free agent. I don't think a new coach has plans for you. Summer comes. This past summer I'm talking about. Works his ass off literally every day, training. Not just working his ass off. He's working on becoming a defensive end to an outside linebacker because they switched defensive schemes in Tampa. So anyway, he's working so hard. And trust me when I tell you, I followed every beat writer in Tampa Bay this past summer. Not because I like the Bucs. In fact, I quite hate them, to be honest with you. I don't care about Tampa Bay at all. And I don't care that I live an hour away from them. I don't give a shit about Tampa. I do care about Demone greatly. So I follow beat writers every day and I would look at the 53-man roster projections every day. And God is my witness, I never, I'm talking the athletic, the all the Tampa Bay newspapers, the, the podcasts, the blogs, I never saw one single, and I mean literally one single projection that had Damone Harris on the 53-man roster. Zero, none. Well, guess what? Damone made that 53-man roster. He worked, he earned it. He earned a spot on a 53-man roster. That's what he's been doing his whole life. Again, never handed a thing, just works his ass off. Spends about, I don't know exactly here, four or five weeks or at least on the active roster. They go to London. He comes back from London. Or actually, it was before London. He got cut from the 53-man, and then he cleared waivers, and they signed him to the practice squad. Then they go to London, and after London, which he was there with the team in London, he finds out that he's been cut. So now he's been cut first from the active roster and then from the practice squad from Tampa. That could derail a young man, especially one who no one thought would be in the league to begin with, but it doesn't. A couple days later, he works out for the Baltimore Ravens. 
He gets signed to their practice squad, loses, plans an engagement around all this, which I'm not going to get into that whole story today. A lot of you already know about it. If not, go online and Google it. Damone Harris engagement ring. You can find out that whole story. But that's what made him known a little bit around the league in more mainstream circles. But anyway, long story short, he does get a, a gig with Baltimore on the practice squad. He's been there for the last couple weeks. Never complain. Just works. Works hard. Waiting his opportunity. And this Thursday it came because the Kansas City Chiefs came calling. They signed him to the 53-man roster. And again, nobody is more deserving. I've watched him work so hard for so long and dreams so big. And that opportunity keeps coming. You know, as fans, we sit around and we look at the stars of the NFL, you know, all the, the Josh Allens and the Jerry Hughes and the Micah Hydes and the Jordan Poyers, all these star players. For every one of them, there are seven or eight guys who are fighting every single week to keep their job. Whether they're on the roster, whether they're on the practice squad, whether they're traveling around the league week to week, every Tuesday for a workout. Damone's been that guy, man. He's just worked hard, very talented, and just deserves everything he gets. So anyway, I just couldn't be happier. I got I, I just I want to send my support to him. And I'll tell you what, I'll always be a Bills fan first and foremost, but at least for the time being anyway, because my Baltimore Ravens fandom didn't last very long as it turns out. But at this point right now, if you're not playing the Bills, go Chiefs. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, my man, Benjamin Albright. Third time doing the podcast. One of my favorite guests I've ever had on the show. One of the very best NFL analysts, NFL insiders out there. Always love having him on. So thanks again, Benjamin. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review. All that fun stuff really helps me continue to grow the show a lot. Of course, you can find us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. New shows every Tuesday and Friday. And when you subscribe, you'll get them sent to you and you'll get them before anyone else does. Also, go hit up the Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. I got podcast highlight clips on there. Plenty of original audio content as well. Bill stuff. Got the chicken wing reviews. All kinds of things going on there. Again, Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Lots of stuff exclusive to that channel. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways, thoughts, all kinds of other stuff there at Hammerin Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I do. I appreciate each and every single person out there who's taking time from their day to give this show a listen. Your car, your office, your home, wherever you may be, it means the world to me. So thank you so much. Have a good weekend. We'll have plenty to talk about next Tuesday. Hopefully, another Buffalo Bills victory Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.